the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can take a pew Bible and turn to page 877. 877. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at a, a short passage, uh, verses 15 through 17. I had Richard read uh, what comes before and after that so we could get the context of that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but the main focus today will be verses 15, 16, and 17. We're going to be dealing with the subject of, let the little children come to me. And as I said, before we look at those verses, we need to briefly do this. We need to look at the story, as I said, that comes just before these verses. And we also need to look at the story that comes immediately after these verses. In verses 9 through 14 that we heard read earlier, Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector praying in the temple. In that story, Jesus spoke about a man who was very confident of his status and his deeds before God, but who left his time of prayer not declared right with God. On the other hand, a tax collector who understood that his status and his deeds did not commend him to God, this understanding causes the tax collector to cry out to God for mercy. And what does Jesus say about him? He went down to his house justified. He was declared right with God. So Jesus has just pictured one man who thinks his status and his deeds commends him to God and gives him the right to enter the kingdom of God. And one man who denied that his status or deeds gave him any right standing with God. And he pleads for God's mercy. And Jesus points to the man who pleads for God's mercy as the example of the proper attitude before God. What was it that man said? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, the story that follows, verses 15 through 17, tells us about a rich young ruler who was morally uh, upstanding. He was wealthy. He was well-known. And he came to Jesus with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? (coughs) Now, the rich young ruler thought of himself. As you heard the verses read there, he thought of himself as a law keeper, someone who was good and upright and obedient to God's law from the very earliest days of his life. He didn't leave that part out, did he? Oh, I've done this for a long time. He thought that gave him a certain status. It qualified him to enter the kingdom of God. And once again in this story, Jesus tells his disciples that it is impossible for that kind of man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in between, we have the story of parents bringing children to Jesus and asking Jesus to bless those children. If you're like me, you you read through the Bible, and you're reading, and you're wondering, why in the world is these verses in between these two stories? You ever done that? You're reading, and you're kind of tracking along, and all of a sudden, Jesus, the the author of the the Gospels in particular, throws something in, and you kind of read that, and you go by it, and you're like, why is that there? Well, the background of what's going on here is probably the practice that took place in those days with the religious Jewish people, who in Jesus' day would bring their children to the rabbi and to the priest 
And they would ask the priest or the rabbi to bless their children. And apparently in Jesus' ministry, from reading these verses, apparently in Jesus' ministry that happened to Him. It's an indication of the high regard that some people have for Jesus. And they would want to take their children to Him for a blessing as they would with the priest or the rabbi. Now, again, we should be asking, why has Luke put this story about Jesus blessing children and then saying that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these and only those who enter like a child will enter it? Why does Luke put this story in between those other two stories? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's showing you the attitude that you're to have in order to become a follower of Jesus. You must humble yourself like a child. Remember the story on the front end and the back end? There were two people who refused to do that and there was one who was. So Jesus is showing us, here's how you enter the kingdom of God. You humble yourself like a child. That's just a small amount of background in order to help us better understand what we're going to look at today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help us understand as we study His Word. So let's pray. Father, we pray today thanking You for Your Word. And I pray today by Your Spirit and Your grace that You would help us to understand, God, what we have before us here today. And as we understand it, God, I pray for Your grace to apply it and to live it out in our lives as those who would profess You as Lord and Savior. Help us to do that today, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our our text today is about two things. Children and grace. This passage teaches us a whole lot when it comes to what Jesus thought of children. And this passage as well teaches us about the gospel of grace. Those are the two things going on here. Jesus is talking about children and He's talking about the gospel of grace. Today I want us to learn about the need to minister to children, about how to bring children to Jesus, and I also want us to learn how it is that we can enter the kingdom of God. Those are the two things we're going to look at today. The main idea is simple. Children and the gospel of grace. You look at these stories and you look at this particular part in the middle, verses 15, 16, and 17, the main idea here is children and the gospel of grace. So verses 15 through the first part of 16, we'll outline it this way. Do not hinder the children. That's very important for what we're doing here today. Parent-child dedication. Jesus is telling us, not just the parents. Listen, church, don't check out here. This is not for mom and dad. Even though it is, this is for all of us. Do not hinder the children. We're going to start with that subject of children. It's very clear here in in these verses that Jesus cares about children. And if you read carefully, you'll notice that Jesus even cared a great deal about infants. Look at verse 15. Luke says, now they were bringing, what's it say there? Even infants to Him that He might touch them. Notice the phrase they were bringing. Again, it appears that this was a a common thing in Jesus' ministry. The verse doesn't say on one occasion parents brought their children to Jesus. They were constantly bringing their children to Jesus. 
It seems that Luke says there's something that happens regularly in Jesus' ministry. That parents regularly brought their children to Jesus and asked that He would touch them and bless them. Remember we said earlier that the tradition of the Jews was to bring their children to the priest or rabbi and ask Him to pronounce a blessing on them. This seems to be, again, this is what's happening with Jesus. But what we want to focus on is that Jesus was very, listen, He was very interested in that being done. You see that? Jesus was very concerned. He was very interested that moms and dads do this. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for following that tradition. That's always a good indicator that tradition is acceptable. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Even though Jesus often rebuked tradition, He doesn't do that here. Jesus appears to be very, very interested to minister to these children and to these parents. Does everyone see that? Jesus was very concerned, very interested in this. Notice as well, verse 15, that as the parents brought their children to Jesus, this has always interested me, as they brought their children to Jesus, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, actually tried to stop this from happening. Did you notice that? Now they were bringing even emphasis to him that he might teach them, excuse me, touch them. And when the disciples saw it, what they do? They rebuked them. It may be possible that the disciples were thinking something like this. Listen, people. Jesus is very busy. He doesn't have time for children, especially those spit-up babies. He doesn't have time for them. Jesus needs to focus on what's really important in ministry. Some of you are smiling. We can do that as the church, right? We can have that attitude. It could be, one commentator says, that the motive of the disciples was their exaggerated sense of self-importance. It was more about them than it was the children. We don't have time for children. They're they're just too much trouble. Jesus doesn't have time for this. Which Jesus what? I got all the time in the world. Just bring them. Notice Jesus' response in verse 16. But Jesus called them saying, Let the children come to me. Jesus overrules his disciples and says, Oh no, let, let allow those children to come to me. Parents, moms and dads, bring them to me. But here's what jumps off the page at me. Notice what Jesus says next in verse 16. Do not hinder them. Jesus reinforces the command that the children come to Him. Jesus does not exclude anyone from access to Him. Anyone. Every person is significant. Even little children and infants. Jesus says, bring them. Jesus is saying to parents, and He's just saying to His disciples, He's saying to His followers, to us, He's saying to us, the church, do not hinder the children. Remove all hindrances that keep children from coming to Me. Listen, all the hindrances. Remove them. Whatever you or anyone else may be doing to keep these children from coming to Me, you need to stop that. You need to make changes if that's what's necessary. Whatever needs to be done to keep 
from these children being hindered, that's what we need to do. At the end of verse 16, Jesus explains His reasoning. For, or because, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus does. He transforms this event to a picture of discipleship. Where Jesus is going in this passage is in teaching a lesson about discipleship to His own disciples. And He's teaching this to us, His disciples in the church today. Notice these children are brought. They do not come on their own. You know, I have mamas and daddies, I've had them tell me often, I'm not going to push my kids toward religion or faith. They grow up, they'll figure that out for themselves. Do you do that with everything else in life with your children? You're going, oh no, they don't know what they're doing. And with that said, I, I want to be careful here. I'm not suggesting that the intent of the passage is the spiritual response of the children. Or just bring your children and dedicate them, which is a good thing to do. Don't just bring them and dedicate them and ask Jesus to bless them. And they're set for heaven. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. Jesus is eager to receive them, suggesting His desire to have them exposed to Him and the gospel at a very early age. That's what He's doing here. Listen, your children are a lot smarter than you think they are. Right? They say, experts do, between the ages of one and five is when your children will develop their attitudes toward a lot of things. Jesus is eager to receive them. To fail and bringing them carries with it the consequences for children who do not demonstrate a spiritual response to Jesus. Do you see that? He's, he's not talking about, oh, bring them and, and I'll bless them and they go to heaven. He's saying expose them to me in the gospel. If you don't do that, it very well could turn out that they'll never respond to the gospel. Jesus is interested in ministering to children. And might I add, He's interested in ministering to children here today. Jesus is interested in the souls of your children, parents. Do you realize that the soul of your child is more important than who they'll marry, what career they decide to go into, or where they go to college? You give them all that and you don't give them Jesus? Here's what I shame on. All those other things are good. Education, who they marry. Listen, if they know Jesus, that will impact everything else in life. You get them, you get them there, and chances are they'll make good choices along with you continuing to guide them. We need to ask ourselves, parents and, and church, how do we bring our children to Jesus? How, how, how do we answer that question? How do we do that, preacher? How how do we do that? First, we heed the warning of Jesus. That's the first thing. Do not hinder them. Do you see that? Don't hinder them. How do I not hinder my children? And And how do I bring my children to Jesus? One way to answer that question is bring them under... Uh, the means of grace. 
And by that I mean that God has provided the means of grace whereby He draws sinners. And by the way, your children are sinners, right? If you don't think it, just wait. They'll prove it right. Bring them under the means of grace. And again, by that I mean God has provided the means of grace. He draws sinners to Himself and He builds those redeemed sinners into disciples. He builds them into followers of Jesus. But that don't just happen because we want it to happen. We have to do what needs to be done. We've got to do what keeps from them being hindered. I want to share with you some of those means of grace. Now, on the inside part of the pew there, there are two sheets of paper, identical, on most of the pews. If you are a parent, take one of those, of, of smaller children, okay? And if you don't get one, you come see me and I'll make sure you get one. Just Whoever's on the inside, take that, pass it down to a, a mom or a dad, and y'all kind of share that. Uh, it's front and back, full sheet. Uh, I didn't want to take up and waste a lot of paper to put everyone one in the bulletin. By all means, if you want one, come see me. I will get you one. I want to point you in the direction of how you bring your children to Jesus and how you raise them to be disciples of Jesus. These things show you how to bring your children to Jesus. These are not exhaustive. I'm going to read through some of these. Depending on how quickly I go through them, I may do all of them. Fifteen ways parents can commit to raising their children in a Christ-centered home, thus bringing them to Jesus. Remember... Don't hinder them. Whatever you're doing to hinder them, stop that. And here's what you do to bring them. <coughs> and I'm just going to read these. Parents make church attendance a priority over all extracurricular activities. Extracurricular activities are important. Family time is important. Rest is important. But in the grand scheme of things, you won't learn or draw closer to God through extracurricular activities or sleeping in on Sunday. Parents, examine your friends, your habits, and your hobbies. Are they going to help you or your children model Christ? Number two, make sure that you're guarding, nursing, and focusing on your own spiritual condition. Do you make time to worship, fellowship with other Christians, read the Word of God, and pray? Chances are, if you don't read the Bible and pray, guess what? Your children won't even think that's important. Parents, don't send your lives on your children. This is, as it says here, a controversial subject. Don't misunderstand what we're saying. You should always love your children, but they should never be the central focus of your lives. If you're committing to raising your children in a Christ-centered home, it's pretty hard to do that when your children are occupying that spot. Number four, realize the importance of living out your Christian faith every day in front of your children. Make sure that Jesus is first in your life and that you seek to glorify Him in everything you do. I've, I've told this story several times. I learned how important the Bible was by watching my own daddy read the Bible. He didn't get up and go anywhere on any day before he read the Bible. Always. He had that Bible on the table. 
before going, leaving that day, he was always reading the Bible. Five, parents put your marriage above your children. Again, this is a controversial subject. When we put our spouse above our children, we're modeling the kind of relationship that has long-lasting benefits and is pleasing to God. Parents work for and on your own marriage daily. Make it your second priority in life behind your relationship with the Lord. Demonstrate to your children that your relationship with your spouse is the most important human relationship that you have and prove this by showing respect for your spouse and displaying sacrificial love and physical affection for him or her. You want your children to learn what healthy affection is? They'll they'll get that from their parents if it's done the right way. Number six, show your child and tell your child that you love them every day. Some of us go, well, they know I love them. I don't have to tell them. Work diligently at building a relationship with them. Take time from the earliest days to communicate with them about deep and important things. Seven, read the Word of God with your child and pray with and for your child on a consistent basis. Let me challenge you dads here today. That's, that's your responsibility to take the lead in a home, to gather your family consistently and read the Bible. I'm not talking about preach a sermon. I'm talking about reading the Bible and praying with your children a prayer based on what you've just read. If you need some help to learn how to do that, you see me. I have a book here. It will teach you how to read the Bible with your children. Now, now dads, I remember when I did this, when I first did it, I felt, you know, I, I've been a Christian for a while, but I'm thinking, I don't read the Bible with my family. I need to start doing that. And there was some shame there, Right? What is my wife and my kids going to think when Daddy comes home and says, Sit down, we're going to read the Bible. Don't worry, dads. Your wife will love the fact that you do that. And wives, let me encourage you to encourage your husband when he does that. Don't say things like, Well, it's about time. Encourage them to do that. Number eight, don't bail your children out of the consequences that arise because of their own actions and choices. It's essential for them to learn that sin has consequences. You will not always be there to rescue them, and you should not enable them. Number nine, teach by example that Christ expects us to be, excuse me, expects us to be presenting our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. The world teaches that it is all about us, breeding those who love themselves first and best. Give them opportunities from their earliest years to serve others, those inside and those outside the church. What our children talk about here today, they went to serve other people. Teach them to respect others. Show them by example that it's the soul of another person. Don't miss this. It's the soul of another person they should value and not that person's outer shell. It's the soul of that person that matters, folks. It's not what they look like, what they have, what they don't have. Part of showing respect for others involves, on their part, modest dress, inclusion, encouragement, forgiveness, praise, and setting a godly example. Quickly. Impress upon your children the brevity of earthly life. God compared it to a vapor. Examine your desire to accumulate things. 
We must demonstrate to our children by our actions and priorities that material things will never be enough and they will never satisfy us. Some of you younger folks, come talk to the elder folks. They'll tell you. Help your children understand that this earth is not our home and we should not treat it as such. Twelve, demand and command respect from your children. If they do not respect you whom they can see, how will they ever be able to respect God whom they cannot see? Do you live in such a way that you are worthy of their respect? Do you say one thing and yet do another? It's not do as... What's the saying? (coughs) What he said. (coughs) Do you say one thing and do another? Even a young... Listen, are you... Listen, are you listening? A young child can spot a hypocrite. They're not dumb. They know what a hypocrite is. They may not know what that word is, but they have the concept. Teach your children that pleasing God is their ultimate goal. To do this means sometimes being alienated from the crowd. Sometimes it's just not favorable with people in the world to be a Christian. Sometimes you're going to be ridiculed and persecuted and made fun of. You need to teach your children that. Make sure you discipline, excuse me, your discipline is consistent and abounding in mercy. It's easier to build children than to repair men. Parents, make your home your full-time ministry. Churches, two to three hours a week. Myself and your Sunday school teachers only get what? An hour? You're like, well, it depends on how long you go on Sunday. Hour and a half. Do the math. How much time do myself and their Sunday school teacher get with them? And I don't know if I've done the math right or not, but you get at least 1,400 hours a year of their attention. Who's more likely to have the most impact? Think about that and commit. Dedicate yourself to making your home a place where God is the center of all of life. Now, There are two ways for you to bring your children to Jesus. Jesus cares about the souls of your children. Are you bringing them to Jesus or are you hindering them? That's the thing we need to ask ourselves. Am I bringing or am I hindering my children? In verses 16 and 17, there's a second point that's very important because here Jesus shows us the purpose of the illustration of the children. And we'll call this entering the kingdom of God. The latter part of verse 16 and verse 17. Here Jesus is calling those... And those only to Himself who cannot do any works to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. Look at what He says there. Let the children come to Me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And then He says, Who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child? What does He say? Shall not enter. You, don't, you, you come to Me like a child. Humble, lowly, meek and mild. Not look at Me, Jesus, what I've done. What does Jesus mean when He says, like a child? That you're going to enter the kingdom? And if you're not like a child, you're not going to enter the kingdom? We need to understand something of the culture in which Jesus is in. When the disciples say, don't bother Jesus with these children, they're they're showing a common attitude that they had in the first century. In the first century, children had little or no social status. They were nobodies. They weren't important. 
Children cannot even begin to claim by their deeds the right to enter the kingdom of God. Now where does Luke record this story? In between the stories of two men who thought they were very important. This story is between the two stories of men who claim by their deeds the right of entry into God's kingdom. Here's what Jesus is telling us. These little children, they don't have the status or the deeds which would give them the right to enter the kingdom. And for that reason, no one who claims to have the status or deeds to enter the kingdom can enter into the kingdom. No one. Only those who know that they do not have status or deeds to enter in my kingdom will enter my kingdom. Jesus is pointing to His receiving of these children. He's telling us that they are not those who do. They are those who have been done for. Jesus is telling us, you don't enter my kingdom by who you are and what you do. You enter my kingdom by who I am and what I do. And only those who enter that way enter the kingdom at all. Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus shows us the children as a model for the way you enter the kingdom. Jesus is illustrating that the way you enter the kingdom is by who He is and what He's done, not by who you are and what you've done. <coughs> this is a message of grace. The only thing that matters is what Jesus has done for you. Not what you've done for Jesus or what you think you have done for Jesus. Remember that one guy? Here's Jesus. Here's what I think I've done that's going to grant me status before you and enter the kingdom. This is a message of grace. You cannot do enough to grant status before Jesus and there be right with God. You can't do enough. But here's what I will tell you. Jesus lived a perfect life in your place. He died in your place that you might be forgiven of your sin against God and He rose again from the dead in order that you might be made right with God. See, it's not what you do, it's what's been done for you. Jesus is saying here, stop trusting in what you do and trust in what I've done. Jesus has done what is necessary for you to enter the kingdom of God. You don't have to do any work to grant you status before God. The only thing you do is repent of your sin and trust the one who did what was necessary for you. Your response is to repent of your sin, trust Jesus alone for forgiveness. It's by grace that we're made right with God. And thus, we inherit eternal life. Humble yourself like a little child and come to Jesus. That's the purpose of this story. Now, we're going to get to the part why most of the grandmas and grandpas and other families have been here today. Thank you for being here today. We're grateful that you've come to celebrate this day. We're going to get into the part now where we do the parent-child dedication. I'm going to give an explanation quickly. And then we're going to challenge moms and dads. And we're going to dedicate them and their children. Here's what I want to tell you. What a parent-child dedication is not. It's not baptism. This dedication is not the same as infant water baptism. The purpose of water baptism is to symbolize the truth that it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that brings salvation to one who has believed in Him. 
Although some Christians participate in infant water baptism, it's not necessarily from a biblical viewpoint. Jesus commands a person to be water baptized after he or she comes to Christ, and a baby or a small child is not capable of repentance and faith in Christ. So this is not the same as baptism. It's not church membership. Church membership is seen in the Scriptures to be reserved for those who hear the Gospel and respond to the Gospel of repenting of their sin against God and placing their faith in Jesus. It's not salvation. While the parent-child dedication is a very special moment, amen, it does not reflect upon that child's personal faith, nor does it guarantee a child will grow up to follow Jesus. A small child is not able to understand sin, forgiveness, the sacrifice of Jesus for sin, and what it means to repent and place faith in Jesus alone for forgiveness of sin. And lastly, it's not a church ordinance. It should be understood that what we're doing here today is is a church tradition, and it's not required biblically, but it is certainly permissible and a good thing to do. It's not to be considered an ordinance for the same level as communion or baptism. So... What is parent-child dedication? Why are we dedicating these children? The parent-child dedication is a covenant and a commitment between the parents and the congregation. That's what we're doing here today. Parents, what we're doing today is called parent-child dedication because both parent and child are being dedicated. Parents, you're declaring that you take responsibility seriously and you're committing to raise your children in a God-honoring manner. That's what you're doing today. Christian parents, by way of child dedication, dedicate themselves. Parents, you're making a vow before God and others to raise this child to the best of your ability according to the Word of God. In doing so, you promise to teach and train the child in the Word of God, which reveals to us the ways of God. You show the child how to live a godly life by way of example. You love the child, thus demonstrating the love of Christ. You pray earnestly with and for for your child. And you disciple them according to the Word of God. And you promise to earnestly pray your children to come to the time of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. Congregation. The church is comprised, the Bible says, of brothers and sisters in Christ. And thus we have a responsibility to love one another. And this love includes helping parents teach their children the ways of the Lord, praying for the parents and the children, as well as being godly examples for the children to follow. This is accomplished when each person in the church uses their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. Parents, Randall and Carrie, Josh, Connie, Josh and Ashley, if y'all will, make your way toward the front. Weston, Eli, and Bennett. (coughs) I'll just stand across here facing me. Don't be nervous. Remember, I told you everything you'd have to do. Josh is retrieving his. (laughs) Weston. There he is.
Y'all not got the view I got. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you see in a minute. So. All right. Today, Randall and Carrie, Josh and Connie, Josh and Ashley, uh, they've come to dedicate themselves to raising their children in a God-honoring manner. They've also come to dedicate their children to the Lord. And by dedicating their children, they're giving thanks to God the wonderful, glorious gift of children. Randall and Carrie, Josh and Connie, Josh and Ashley, do you covenant with this congregation before God to raise Bennett, Eli, and Weston in the instruction of the Lord by nurturing them in a joyful submission to Jesus Christ and a love for the church through the modeling of these things in your own life, as well as the continual teaching of God's Word. We do. We do. Right. Parents and children, I want you to turn and face the congregation. Congregation, let me give you just a minute to look and kind of take it in, okay? Congregation, the you covenant with Randall and Carrie, Josh and Connie, Josh and Ashley before God to provide biblical encouragement and support through prayer, accountability, edification, love, and biblical teaching in order that they can fulfill their commitment to raise their children in the instruction of the Lord. Please indicate your willingness to enter into this covenant with them by standing. Randall and Carrie, Josh and Connie, Josh and Ashley, look at all the people that are standing. Just take a minute, look around here. They've got to gawk at you. Now you can do that back at them. I want you to look. Look around. They're committing to covenant with you to help you raise your children and help point them to Jesus. Parents, hold them accountable. Congregation, you're looking at three families that are they're making a commitment to raise their children and point them to Jesus. Hold them accountable. I'm going to pray for the babies and the moms and dads, so if you will, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You for the time to gather here today to dedicate moms and dads and three precious, wonderful children. To God be the glory for His grace upon these families. I pray for moms and dads that You'll help them in the days ahead to commit to raising these precious gifts and bringing them to Jesus. Help them, God, to be mindful of when they hinder their children from coming to You and guard them from that. Help us as a church today, Father to commit, to hold them accountable, to come alongside them and help them in this great challenge that they face. Bennett, Eli, and Weston, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace today 
and all the days of your life and forevermore. Amen. All right, we have some gifts. These are gifts from the church and church. You may be curious as to what they've received. Bennett, Eli, and Weston have received the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, you're like, well, they can't read yet. Remember what I said, moms and dads? You can read this. Can I tell you something? This is a children's Bible, but I'm going to tell you something. I've read this. This is good. This is good. And moms and dads received... Five things to pray for your children. There are 22 categories in here. And there's five things each of what they can pray for their children. So simple, moms and dads. Read these and pray these things over your children. Alright? Alright, families, y'all can go back to your seats. You're probably like, I've had enough time in front of everybody. So. <laughs> I'm going to ask our musicians if they'll come. And we're going to...